would you guys just be interested in sharing some of your background, like maybe from Toronto and some of the things God has done in your lives? Yeah, just call them. I am 61 years old, and I can honestly say this has been the best year of my life. And it has followed a couple of really hard years for all of us. And I have, I mean, if you would, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I was driving for Uber and Lyft, I would have said, uh, no, I don't like driving. And I, and I'm not that fond of people. <laughs> I couldn't imagine sitting in a car and trying to run a navigation and have a conversation with the person in my back seat. It was very stressful at first, but I have had some incredible encounters in my car. Incredible, wonderful opportunities to have Holy Spirit show up, to have the kingdom of heaven come and have the father wrap his arms around the young people or the older people in the backseat of my car who are going through their toughest times. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you. Um, and yes, I've been to Toronto. It was absolutely wonderful. I've been to Bethel many times. I've, been, I've gone to Japan and ministered in Japan. I've ministered in the DR. I've ministered in Los Angeles. I've ministered in Uzbekistan, which I did not enjoy at all. But I have to tell you, uh, ministering uh, in my own streets, in my own city, driving my car around has been the very, very best. Uh, Lori doesn't exaggerate at all, actually. But a, about a month ago, she was talking with a group of people, and she said, I have the best job in the world. And it's because we have felt for years like the Lord is calling us to go outside the four walls of the building. You know, often we'll have these fireworks displays of the Holy Spirit touching people's lives and prophetic words and healing and this and that. But it's always been in the house. And many people are reluctant or don't feel like people outside of the church would even be interested. And that is just such a huge lie that has really held the church back from having a voice and an influence um, in our communities. And so we are so fortunate because 10, 15 times a day we meet people from all over. Some people are quiet and we honor that and just get them safely where they're going. But many people are going through unbelievable times. Um, I gave a ride to a guy and he got in the car. He was an incredibly sweet African-American man. And I mean, within the first, well, first, let me preface this. I, I started driving for Uber first. And uh, two weeks before, I was praying and journaling, and we're going to talk about that some tomorrow. How can you open the door to not have your communication just be one way? But how can you learn how to listen and let the Lord begin to speak into your life? And uh, so I did that, Lord. Am I supposed to drive for Uber? And one of the things he said was that people would experience the atmosphere of heaven in the backseat of the car. And I'm just like, well, that's awesome because we all carry the presence. So this African-American man comes in and we start down the road and for some inexplicable reason he goes, well, I lost my wife two and a half years ago, my wife of 40 years, and I haven't talked about it yet. And I don't know why, but I think this is the time. And he went, they hated each other when they met. He never wanted to get married. She wormed her way into his heart. They fell in love. They were like this radical couple. And I'm just, I'm like, 
have at it. So I just let him do that. He felt safe. He felt heard. He felt loved. And it was the sweetest thing. He goes, you know, I have already set this up. I have a plan. My wife always wanted to travel the world, and she never got to do it while she was alive. So I'm taking her ashes. I've got four trips scheduled with friends, and we're going to go to four different places in the world and scatter her ashes in the ocean. And I've read that her ashes in one year will travel all the way around the world if we put them in those places. Can you believe that? I mean, you have no idea who, who you're going to meet, and God loves them all. And so many people don't have anyone speaking anything encouraging or positive. We speak to the gold in people's lives. There's dirt, and it's easy to see the dirt. And so many people just talk about the dirt. But we're all made in the image of God. We all have his breath, his spirit in us. And uh, it, it's just, it's so powerful. So, uh, Toronto, okay. I'll give you one Toronto story. Um, I was in the leadership of a church. I was an elder. And I was a marketing director for an advertising firm, and the, Toron the uh, headquarters was based in Toronto. So I got to go on a business trip, and the Toronto blessing was poured out in 94. Have you guys heard much about it? I think Scott won't shut up probably about it. And so, uh, so in 94, that happened. In 95, I got to go to the head office and meet my boss and blah, 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 and then right to the church. And so I was sitting there that night, and I, I heard two words, just observe and serve. And I thought, well, I can observe what God's doing here and just keep my spirit open, but I can't serve. They don't know me. And at the end, they said, well, if you're a pastor or if you're a leader from another church, if you're willing, you know, to help our ministry team, because guys, there would be 2,000, 2,500 people. And there were big lines of tape, row after row after row. And at the end of the service and the worship, people would just get online. And, and then, you know, this is the Toronto pose with your hands out like this, right? And just ready to receive. And so the ministry team would go down. But it was very common. People would get slain in the spirit. And so I was there to catch them, which meant for two hours, I got to hear the prayers. I got to see people's hearts touched. I got to see people just overwhelmed. You want to talk about Holy Spirit-powered encounters. It was sparkly. It was everywhere. So I thought, wow, I got to serve also. But the guy that night who was speaking was a pastor from Australia, and there was a huge revival going on in Sydney, and he was one of the pastors as part of that revival. His name was Jeff Beecham. And so I'm finally, you know, the ministry time is mostly done. I'm standing in an aisle, and the speaker walks up to me, and he goes, uh, have you been prayed for yet? And it's like, uh, no, I've been, you know, catching. He goes, well, come here. And so I get in the Toronto pose, and then he didn't touch me. He just put his hands over me. And he goes, uh, he just starts praying this stuff. And I'm like, oh, I can receive that. Oh, I can receive that. Then he started praying big stuff. Father of the city this, an influencer of that, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, this dude, he doesn't know me. God couldn't use me like that. I mean, he's just, that's just big talk. I mean, I started to kind of question and doubt the things he was speaking over my life. And while I was in that bad attitude, um, all of a sudden, for my first time ever, I seriously felt not just heat, but like electricity start to like come into my hand and I, I opened my eyes like what is that and it started to travel down my hand down my forearm and by the time it hit my elbows I was just standing there and I had been slain in the spirit anyone been slain in the spirit so far just let me quick show of hands it's not a status thing it's not a sign that God loves you more some people are just wimpy like me and and when I get in God's presence I get affected by it 
So I'm sitting there having this electricity come down my hands. And before, when I got slammed in the spirit, it's like, oh, it'd just be so much easier to fall down than to stand up. There was this weight, this heaviness to it. And you're just like, okay, God, I'll yield to this. But it was a choice. My first night in Toronto, this evangelist is praying for me. And the electricity starts. And it hasn't happened since. But the Lord literally blew me off my feet. I was thrown backwards in a way I couldn't physically do. And I think I must have flown like 10 feet. And I came to a skidding stop like ah, on the carpet. And I was just like, what the heck was that? You know, I've always heard the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. You ever heard that verse? Yeah. He, well, that wasn't very gentlemanly. You know, he, he does re reserve the right to kill people too. And so I was laying there just sort of cooking and wondering if there was smoke coming out of my ears. And I thought, Lord, wh wh what is that? Why did you do that? And I played the tape back in my mind. And when doubt started to come in my mind that God could use my life the way he would want to use it, when I began to think I couldn't do that, that's when he said, really? If I'm going to move you where you want to go, I'm going to be in control of your life. I'm going to get you going the direction you want. And I went, okay, God, I'll cut that deal. The things that I can't do, you can still do in me. And by the way, that's true for all of us who know him and are just filled in his spirit and just experiencing his love. It's not about how hard you try. It's not about how good you've done in the past. It's about God getting glory from each of our lives by loving us uniquely. There are four gospels in the Bible, right? Did you know every one of you is a gospel? God is writing a story out that's unique to your life of how he wants to gift you and love you and display you. God must have the biggest wallet in the world because for each and every one of us, he loves to pull out his wallet and go, look at my kid, you know? And he does that for all of us. It's just amazing. Oh, how's that? Was that what you were looking for? Okay, so-so, okay. I can top that one. My experience in Toronto was quite different from my husband's. Um, I seriously had, he talked about some of the doubt in receiving that word. I just had doubt that the Father could love me. And we were starting to do soaking at our church even. So we'd do the soaking prayer and I would do nothing but just weep and just feel like he just can't love me. I can't receive his love. My good, good friend Kumiko from Japan, she would pray over me and she would say the words, oh, he just loves you so much. And I'd just be sobbing knowing I wouldn't be able to receive it. And I had no idea why. So one of the times in Toronto, um, you know, they've got the prayer lines and you've got that envious place right up at the front by the altar. It's where everybody wants to go. And I finally made it up to the altar. I think inside of me there was a, if I could just make it to the altar. And so I made it all the way to the altar, and I'm standing up there ready to receive. And one of the ushers came, comes to me, and he grabs my shoulders, and he physically moves me off the front line and <laughs> to another line. To me, that was a representation. I just, I can't receive. I just can't receive. And so somebody did pray for me in, off at the side. It wasn't one of the important speakers. It was just some gal she came over and she prayed for me and I fell down and I'm still just weeping, weeping, weeping on the floor. 
And I had a vision of God the Father coming up to me. And he had this gentle laugh on his face. And he started to wipe the tears from my eyes. And he's laughing at me because of the way I was feeling that I couldn't receive his love. And he's just like, silly child, I just love you so much. And he wasn't judging me, and he wasn't critical of me in being unable to receive his love. He was just loving me. By the way, that's what the Toronto Blessing was about. It wasn't a revival. That's why they called it renewal, because people like uh, uh, Heidi Baker, Baker um, Bill Johnson, R.T. Kendall, a lot of people that were national figures were burnt out, tired, giving, giving in ministry. Um, Oswald Chambers says that ch the chief competitor to devotion to Christ is service for him. So you begin to pour yourself out, and if you have something to give, there's always somebody to take, and you can just keep giving and giving and giving until you wind up on empty and you forget why you fell in love with Jesus. The church needed to have the heart reset. And so people like Heidi Baker, who were running zillions of churches and all of them, I mean, she was running three churches and totally burned out, and they had an encounter with the love of God, the Father heart of God, that revived their devotion to God. You know, a lover will always outwork a worker. And so as we cultivate that love relationship with God, we let him love on us, we pour our hearts out to him, that's where you get revived, renewed. That's where you get not just your marching orders, that's where you get your passion to really, you know, be devoted to him. And, and I think that's what many, many people... Uh, have you ever heard the story of Bill Johnson's encounter in Toronto? I mean, he was also doing really well, but, and they really wanted to see the, a power move of God in their church. So he went because he thought that was the mothership where God was moving. And so he was receiving prayer. And when the Holy Spirit hit him, he also got thrown backwards and he rolled. And then he hit a wall and his feet were sticking straight up as he was on his back on the wall. And he was like, oh, you know, what are you doing? At, what? He was stuck. He couldn't move. And so he just stayed there, and God cooked him down into being able to receive the Father's love. Because without the Father's love, it's all just performance. It's striving. It's trying to be good enough. Um, and a beautiful thing about Toronto in particular, uh, and I've heard it many, many times from many, many leaders, that message is so important, receiving the Father's love, that that anointing was totally transferable. I mean, people would come from... Kentucky people would come from, uh, I saw 200 pastors from Norway just get absolutely hammered. And then they all go back to their churches and the same kind of power encounters were happening because the love of God is transferable. And uh, so I think that's one of the things. And if you don't know the history of it, John and Carol are not hosted that outpouring of the Holy Spirit for over 20 years. They were so humble, so faithful. They didn't make it about themselves. They kept the focus on the Lord. Do you know how hard that is with Christian magazines and media and all the attention? Millions of people coming from around the world, and they just kept loving God. They just kept loving the people who were coming. I don't know church history real, real well, but I don't think there's ever been a sustained move of God for 20 years in North American history. So... Uh, it's absolutely incredible what they hosted. And you don't have to ever feel like you missed out. 
because the Father's heart hasn't changed since then. Yay! Yeah, because I missed out. <laughs> Tammy met me at the Foursquare Church, and at that time I was an intern, which just meant I was a kid who started doing Bible college in, through the church. And I remember as part of the staff um, that the Toronto thing was happening, and we were shown a video in a room of probably nightline news or something doing a expose and we watched it and it was pretty wild and then the pastor asked us all what we all thought of it and I just remember saying well I think if it's God he'll do it here too I, I have this feeling that Pastor Steve would have been willing to maybe send one of us I would have loved to have gone now that I know what it is I, I, now that I know but so ever since then there's been a hunger for obviously can't go back in time but but hunger for God because I know that's that's not the only time he'll ever move like that so yeah but hey I know you guys probably have questions for these guys right anyone got questions so I'm going to hand this back I, I am recording it just for fun so yeah so by the way it's also not the, the length of that outpouring was unprecedented but you've heard of the Great Awakening, I'm sure, and Jonathan Edwards and all that. Uh, well, Sarah Edwards had a manifestation and encounter with God that was, I think, really amazing and the heart of what it's like when you receive God's presence. Because uh, she had a manifestation where she was obliterated. And from what I remember, she couldn't talk or move for, I think it was three or four weeks. People had to carry her around and help take care of her. Just she and she didn't want to talk about what even happened to her, and when she she spoke, she only spoke for a short time, like a couple of weeks, like when people were like what what happened? Why why did you have that reaction? And those kind of things were more common back in the Toronto blessing time too. And for some people, it just weirded them out. You know, I weirded me out getting thrown until I knew what God was after, and Him being in control of my life instead of me. That's a pretty important message. Uh, but for Sarah, what she told people was for that time she became profoundly aware of God's nearness to her. She knew he was just face to face, but also she became profoundly aware of her dearness to him and it devastated her. Just that he loved her that much and she was, he was actually always that close. Man, how many of you would like to walk with that revelation just in your daily life and the encounters you have with people who are hurting and broken and hopeless and the people that you love who you want even more for? amazing his nearness and your dearness that's a good word <laughs> are, are there any questions don't be as scared I won't pray for you <laughs> I, I don't do a lot of dream interpretation although God's at critical times given me some very significant dreams that I knew were from him that when I receive that and respond to it whew, amazing the power that comes when we just respond in obedience to a word that we hear prophetically or revelation from the word or in a dream you know without faith it's impossible to please God what happens when you begin to respond in faith you know so do you interpret dreams 
I interpret my own sometimes, and I interpret Charlie's sometimes. I don't really have a ministry of interpreting other people's dreams, but if you have a dream that you want somebody to interpret. You want us to take a you want us to take a whack at it? Do you, oh yeah, okay. Okay. You know what? It, this might be better over the mic so it's on the tape. Uh, this happened a long time ago, two thousand seven, somewhere. And oh. And we, we were renting this house. We were between houses, we were having one built, so we rent in this house. And uh, in the no no, in real life. But the house that we were in, it was a huge house. It was, uh, like, super long. I remember my granddaughter, she'd look down the hall, and she was, like, four. She says, this is a hotel because it just had bedrooms. We had five bedrooms upstairs. I think it was five. Yeah, no, no, this is real life. So, so anyway, I dreamt this dream, and uh, I, there was a dark cloud, and people were in the house. And they were saying, what is that? What is that? So I ran outside, and I looked up, and there was a dark cloud. It looked like a storm, a really bad storm. And this hand came down, and I says, that's, I don't know if that's God or not. And it had a big picture in his hand, and he just started pouring it over the house, and it was black. J just black, like molasses black. You know, real slow, just going like that. And I says, you know, and I... I didn't like it. I mean, I woke up, and I was scared. I started praying, you know. And, that. and then two days later, I had another dream. And uh, it was like I was walking like that. And you know how, you know, dusty place, how the dust comes out from under your feet. People were just falling. And so I, <laughs> and they were falling. And I went around this building. They, somebody was guiding me to go to the front door. But there were some some strange people. But it was, it was everybody was happy and everything, and I just kept you know, it just I just sat there, and said, <laughs> you know. But but I had to go somewhere, and that was two days later. But I you know that dream has always stuck with me. I've tried to you know, I've been always afraid to ask people what that dream was. Yeah, there, it was a big. There was like two doors that opened like that. It was like a church that had never been opened. Hadn't been open, but uh, that was it. Why wow. was it related to the first dream in some way? The black? Did you buy the house that God was pouring darkness over? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Well, the 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 dust for me. It um, when we travel, when we go like Uzbekistan, anywhere, but especially Uzbekistan and India, those were more oppressed kind of countries, and uh, you know the verse where everywhere your foot shall tread the lord will give that to you we we can bring the kingdom and bring it into even dark places and so for me when you were walking and the dust was going out the kingdom was getting released people were getting slain and you know, i don't know what the two doors represent other than you continuing to just walk with that sense of god's presence and then yeah 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 so it may be worth sharing. I'll make it very quick. Um, for two days in Uzbekistan, we lived behind an iron gate in a courtyard, and it was a closed Muslim country. We were under surveillance by the KGB. I mean, it was just kind of intense. 
And finally, I couldn't handle it anymore because I just felt like fear trying to come in. So I went out the gate and I walked, like I think, to the west and I found a city park and the police station. And all I did was bless. I blessed everyone. I meant, assalamu alaikum, and I'd smile at people and I'd bless the businesses. I blessed the police station. I blessed the city park. And, and then I went another direction. I went another direction. But the fourth day, and I would get up at five, I'd pray, and then I'd go out around sunrise and pray and bless the city. And by the way, my love for the city, for the people, it just like kept expanding, you know. It felt, I felt like I was at home. I was taking territory for God. And then the fourth day, I'd go out, and the blessing wasn't going out the same way. I was in a bubble. I felt safe. I was like, what is going on? I mean, my heart is just so connected. And I came back and I talked to Brian, our host, and it's like, so I went through Charkey this morning and I felt safe, but I was like in this little bubble and it was like the blessing couldn't go out. And he's like, oh, oh, I should have told you not to go there. That's where all the crime is in our city. That's where all the violence is. That's where really bad things happen. And I'm like, oh, you know, you know, my job is to release blessing, but not everybody can receive it either. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so following on the, the dream where you had uh, the storm that was overhead and then you saw the darkness being poured out over, I, I'm not sure what it fell on. It, I was the house that you were in, that you were renting. Oh, um, so this, this may or may not be the Lord, but what Charlie was talking about with um, what he was talking about wherever you tread um, and what I was hearing along with that is authority. So even though you have the darkness that comes to try to drown out what it is that the Lord is doing, you still have the authority because that house has been given to you. And that house could be your house. That house could be a sphere of influence that you have, like your job. Um, so that darkness comes down and wants to smother what it is that the Lord has for you to do in that place. But you have the authority to walk and continue to tread in the places where he's called you to. Does that make sense? So I can extend on that, not the dream part, but something else about the nature of spiritual warfare, unless someone else has another question. So is anyone else cooking out there, chomping at the bit? But it's, I guess, two questions. Um, what do you see that's happening today with today's movement that's starting the revival, the reformation that we're expecting? What do you see that's similar to what you guys saw in the 90s? that was kicking off with Toronto, and then what do you see that's different? Uh, boy, you want to speak to this? Because you, you really carry the change that's going on in our community and our neighborhood, and, or do you want me to address it first? Yeah. It's hard for me to compare the two other than say that we really needed the renewal because we were so burnt out trying to do good things for the Lord, but our relationship to him wasn't intimate. We didn't really know 
the intimacy and the love that he has for each of us individually. And I see what's happening right now in the Lord is purifying his bride. There's, a, there's been a winnowing. It's been really sad for a lot of people, a lot of pastors watching their people walk away. Um, and we just keep praying for them. You know, Father, do the work in them. Even if they choose to walk away, continue to do the work. Draw their hearts to you. But I see him taking what the enemy is meant for evil and turning it into something incredible with the hearts of his sons and daughters being drawn even into deeper intimacy with him and that intimacy and that love that he is birthing in our hearts even deeper, I believe, than Toronto, than the, the, the renewal, I guess you could say. He's turning that love into uh, the love that we're to have for the world. And we've already spoken just a little bit. We touched on it a little bit when we were talking earlier. Um, I have seen <laughs> Gloria. I'm just going to give an example. Gloria at our church she is 82, and this woman is on fire, absolutely on fire. The Father's been calling her into intimacy, and um, she struggled so much with condemnation. Never good enough. He doesn't love me. He doesn't talk to me like he talks to other people. He's, uh, I'm always doing something wrong. He's convicting me of sin, and it'll put, it, it'll put her into this pit that takes her a week or two weeks to come out of. And now he brings the conviction and it's falling into the heart of a woman who knows absolutely how loved she is to the point where she's almost shattered with how much he loves her. And the conviction just changes her heart to love him even more. And if he loves me this much and, I'm, and I've done so many bad things or wrong things or I've been mean to people, uh, how can I help but love the world around me? So our people are getting such a heart for the community where our church is planted. And the Lord designed it that way. And it's taken us 10 years to get to this point, 10, right? 10 years in this community of prostitution and drug addiction and um, violence and assaults and robbery. I mean, we can talk about all the darkness, you know, the dark that gets poured out over a community, but he's given it to us. He's given it because he has it for us to walk out and to pray, to love on the people that we meet, to give prophetic words to them and tell them how much the Father loves them, to pray for them and see them get healed and be astounded that the Father would want to give him, give them the, his attention. You know, I haven't thought this or spoken this out, so your question is absolutely brilliant in my opinion. Renewal was for the church, but we're entering a, a season of revival that people who really need the gospel, they're getting their hearts prepared. Their hope has been misplaced. Their life has been turned upside down. We've all been through unprecedented times together, and there's never maybe been such an opportunity for the church to rise up and not just and, and be the church outside of the walls. Uh, most of my friends, it's like we've been preaching that message, but we didn't do anything about it. We got forced outside of the church. And I've had this very compelling thought lately because, um, God forgive me, I felt like, well, the message of the gospel is only 
you know, for a certain generation or for a certain kind of people. Most people out there, they don't really want to hear what I have to say. That's ridiculous. We're bringing the extreme good news of the love of a father that is the only thing that your life can rest on as a real foundation. And so for me, if I become convinced that a real relationship with Jesus, not the phony baloney, you know, God isn't looking for more spectators. You know, he's not looking for an audience. He's looking for an army, people who really love him. And I don't know about you, but I've been afraid to cross the chicken line, to talk to people just out in my neighborhood. And God is putting a, a compunction, a, a desperation in us, I believe, in many, many, and I see it across the board in our church. We have people going out, like Gloria, 82 years old, and she's getting all feisty talking to people on the street and praying down on them. I mean, it's amazing. If I become convinced that whoever I meet any day, the very best thing I could ever do for them is make an introduction to a genuine, loving relationship with Jesus, then out of compassion, I should be willing to share that with boldness, with compassion, with clarity. And, and that's my prayer. So I have a new phrase. And oh, this is so terrible. The Lord was almost tormenting me with this. It's like, God, I want to see Holy Spirit-empowered encounters. I want to see him in my office. I want to see him in my life. God, I'm really excited. More encounters with the Holy Spirit just through my life. I don't know. Do you guys want to see more Holy Spirit-empowered encounters? I mean, the power and the breakthrough and the healings, the whole thing, right? And then you know what he told me? Oh, I'm, and he said, I'm so glad, you know, that you want that. He said, but you're going to see it more outside of the church than inside the church. I'm a pastor shepherd. That's not fair, God. He gave me this ache to see him just do amazing things that I haven't even seen him do yet. And then for him to say, nope, it's now for outside. But can you see the wisdom of that? You know, people who already feel comfortable, they're not going to be that excited about the good news. People who have never heard it, when it's real and they feel it's coming out of love and there's a genuine care and a compassion for them, whew, that bypasses their reasoning, that bypasses their resistance and their shields. So I think that's what's happening. I think the church is getting awakened to finally, now after 20 years, okay, you've been revived. You've been revived and renewed for what? So that others can find that healing and that love. That's what I think. A really good answer. Or good, good, that was a good answer, Charlie. No, it was a really good, it was a really good question. <laughs> hey, we have to build ourselves up too. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what tongues is about, right? You're praying tongues to build yourself up. Okay, it's, that's not ego. All right. Any other questions? See, I scared Scott away. That was fun. Probably on the same line as Cara. <laughs> I always want to say Charla. <laughs> but uh, I've watched a lot of um, uh, religious programs. And there is talk, uh, a lot of TV on, and, uh, on different pastors and stuff. And there is a lot of talk that's going around saying there is a new renewing coming on. And it's going to be taking over. And it's, you know, it's going to be a super, like, I'm picturing a supernova. And so do you guys believe in that? On the move of that God's going to take this country by a storm, more or less 
other country. No, you're a brilliant question. Oh, let's get that right, because I totally messed that up. didn't give it to me. Hold on. No, no. There's been a verse. There's been a verse that's been burned in my heart. Um, we were at the same church for 25 years, and it was amazing. It was about 1,200 members. I was the counselor and the administrator for the church, and so just married most of the people, buried most of the people. I loved that body. And then 2008 came along, and we had to lay our pastor off. And so I, I would have volunteered to leave, but I wasn't sure how it would affect the church because Lori and I, Many people called us the heart of that church, and so I thought it could really hurt the church. So we, we abstained, and the elders went in the little room, and then they felt that the Lord was releasing us, which this poor lady carried the grief of that, the loss of families we had raised our kids with for 25 years. And I got to carry the euphoria because I knew God was calling us to something else. And our heart, because of Toronto and Bethel Church and others, our style of ministry had just radically changed. And having two leaders in the same community who have different styles, even though we had goodwill and we trusted each other, nothing was behind the scenes, it was time. So we went to a conference down in Albany, and Bobby Connor was there, if you know him. He's a very um, confirmed prophetic voice. And Bobby prayed over Lori and I when we were getting ready to start our church abiding place. And he um, read Isaiah 40 or quoted Isaiah 40, um, and I'll just start at verse 5. And so this is the answer to your question. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 5 says, Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When the kabod, the glory of God, comes, there's a weight, a heaviness, a tangibility. Unbelievers who've never even given thought whether God is there, they know it too. They sense it. So there is a way that we can carry the presence that people will become hungry for God. They're going to know that it's going to be all right if they give their life to him. They're going to, they're going to be able to find real hope again, real purpose for their life. And I believe God is increasing more and more and more our capacity to carry and to release his glory. And it's not about us. It's about him. And that's where revival starts, you know. We keep that tender heart before him. We just stay connected. He, he says he's never going to leave us or forsake us. Is that true? So when you're in a tough situation, he's backing you up. He's right there with you. He already has a heart for that situation and for that individual. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think that's a pretty good answer, actually. So if I... I I'm, I'm on fire! <laughs> so 
I, I do have one thing, I guess, I, I don't know if we're ending on this or not, but we talked a little bit about spiritual warfare, the dream about the darkness getting poured, and then Lori, of course, gave you the opposite interpretation that I did, which is, well, you know, I, I thought you, yeah, get away from the house, and you thought move into the house and, you know, let bring God's presence is kind of what you said. And uh, oh no, <laughs> no, 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 it was, it was, you know what? We can both be right. It's amazing. But in terms of spiritual warfare, um, fear is a form of reverence. You know, where the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Right. And that doesn't mean fear and trembling and I, I'm afraid of you, I'm going to avoid you, I'm, you know, you're going to be mean to me. It's like you are powerful. But when we fear darkness, we empower darkness. And so I was fishing with a guy, a friend of mine named David, years and years ago. We were pipsqueaks. And David spent three or four hours talking about the first year of his salvation and all these things that happened, these radical encounters. And my faith was just growing. We were having a great time. On the drive home, he starts talking about some demonic encounters he had early in his walk. And for the first time in the day, I began to think, wow, if the devil tried that on me, I don't know if I'd know what to do. I, maybe that might actually trip me up. I began to feel just the first pangs of fear toward the enemy. And so I'm driving my car, and David is a very, very mystical guy. He's got this intense, always has this, hears God's voice and just walks with him, and it's genuine. And then David is in the middle of a story, and he goes, oh, the Lord just said we're glorifying demons, and I have to be quiet. And he shut up, mid-sentence. And I thought, this guy's kind of a trip. And so I kept driving, and then I played the tape back. It's like, wait a minute. The minute I began to feel fear in my heart, the Lord told David, we're glorifying demons. And he shut up. I loved his obedience. And so there's a way we can talk about spiritual warfare, that God still gets the glory, and we know the authority that we have. So the best illustration I have for that is our first year of marriage in a house where uh, we knew another family and there were physical manifestations of demonic activity going on in their house. And the elders came and prayed and oil and they tried all the stuff and then it would come back and they weren't sure how to deal with it at the time. So there was a young lady living in the house and she was a new believer and she was getting pretty freaked out. And so we said, well, you can come live with us in our house until they straighten all that out. And so Robin came and, and just a couple of days later, you know, I already kind of expected it, she came down the hallway one morning. Charlie, Lori, there was a demon in the house last night. It was out in the hallway. It was scratching at my door. It had a claw. I could hear it dragging on the door. What are we going to do? There was a demon in the house. I mean, she was freaked out, which is understandable, right? While she was doing that, I got a picture in my mind of our hallway, kind of from a bird's eye view, and I saw this scrawny, trembling, trespassing demon, and he was outside her door, clawing at the door like, Oh, don't hurt me, you know, because he knew the angels of heaven were encamped around our house, right? So I said, you know, Robin, I think you're right. I think there was a demon in the house last night. Do I do it? I said, and let me describe it to you. And I told her what I saw, and she said, really? Is that all you think it was? And I was like, no, I'm sure that's all that it was. And she's like, oh, okay. No other issues the whole time she was there, right? What happened at the heart of that story? She had fear toward the power of demons. And by the way, what gave him permission to be there? She did. Her fear invited him, in a sense. 
And then the minute she wasn't afraid anymore, no power. Because come on, they're created beings. We're hanging out with the creator of the universe, and all authority and power has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Come on. What kind of a battle is that? It's so unfair. It's so lopsided when your mind and your heart is in the right place. There are more who are for us than against us. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, somebody else has have, got, to, got to have a good question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I read your book, The Reconciliation. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> 10 out of 10 recommend. Um, no, it's, it was a, it was a really good, there were some really good concepts that I got out of that, um, book. Um, yeah, it, um, part of it, if other people go read it, it, um, you talk about, um, you know, having that prayer time with God and, um, not like striving in prayer, but just like being in his presence. And, um, uh, that was an important thing for me to to hear and read about uh, because, you know, I'd been in, I'd been raised in a Christian environment, even though it was some, there were some difficult times there. But it's just even even being raised in a Christian environment, you don't pick up everything because people just assume that you know stuff, and there are just so there's things that are left out. But um, you know, on the you know on the journey, you pick up things as you go, and this was one of those things was. Um, you know, in prayer, it's not like you're reading off a bullet list to God or, you know, trying to strive to to get his attention. But I was wondering if you could maybe expound on that a little bit more, maybe some of your experience on just being with God and just being in his presence, because maybe you could do that, Scott. didn't write the book, but I proofread it. Does that count? Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so um, two, two weeks ago, our, our, we've, we have a prayer room upstairs, and for the first uh, five years, um, every Wednesday night was soaking prayer night, and it was incredible. I mean, there were times where we would go, and we would just be in his presence. We would put on soaking music with words, without words, and we would just say, Holy Spirit, come. And maybe we'd go around and Charlie would often give prophetic words to people that would encourage their hearts and bring them into a deeper place. That has really waned over the last few years. So it's like nobody wants to come anymore. What are we doing here? So we actually stopped. And um, Gloria, faithful Gloria, decided, well, I want to do intercession. And so we brought Wednesdays back up and usually it would just be Gloria and I, and we would do soaking for an hour, and we'd do intercession for an hour. And uh, it has started to increase. So two weeks ago, I mean, increase in, in people, increase in God's presence. Um, he's doing something. And, and I was just, I was just, I was listening to worship music, and Holy Spirit, come, God, I'm so desperate for you. I need to just be in your presence. And then all of a sudden I was. And I felt like I was right in the throne room. And 
I was weeping the whole time. And I had no words. It wasn't like God was saying anything to me. It wasn't like I had any really deep revelation, just a sense that I was in the throne room and I had no right to be there other than what Jesus had done for me. Well, uh, you know, we live in a time and a culture of mass distraction. There's media, there's noise, there's Facebook, there's cell phones that follow us everywhere. Um, I heard a guy uh, on a NPR, an interview, and he was getting concerned with how all the, the, the blogging and the media stuff was affecting his relationships. So he decided to go on a silence retreat at a monastery. And, you know, they were even given their instructions that no media, no entertainment, and even at meals they were encouraged not to talk to each other, just silence. And the first 24 hours was really hard for him. But then, as he started to quiet down, he realized he had these feelings coming up about frustration in a relationship that he had and anger about a certain, certain situation. And he realized that in his normal life, when negative feelings would start coming up, he would run and work on his blog, or he would go and binge watch something, or he would do something else. And, you know, it's human nature to avoid pain, right? If you burn your hand on a stove, what do you, are you going to burn your hand again? You avoid pain. But when emotional pain starts coming up, if you're distracted and busy, you never process it. And, uh, and it can't become released or become something better. And so he began to realize, wait a minute, this is affecting my personal relationships with friends. I'm not processing frustrations as they come up or misunderstandings as they come up and people begin to divide and we don't have the unity, the friendships, the support, what God intends for community. And we're in a season where that's now across the board. And so learning how to quiet down, how to be with the Lord, how to allow negative feelings to come up and process them with him is a skill that's almost lost in our culture. And uh, I was going to share this tomorrow, but I'll, I'll share this now. Uh, when Lori and I were uh, married, well, maybe 20 years, 15 years, I was beginning to get into quieting myself. Uh, you know the verse, be still and know that I'm God, you know? And what does the Lord's, uh, the shepherd's prayer, I mean, uh, say, uh, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. Because we don't want to, you know. He leads me beside still waters. There's healing that happens there. So I was in the kitchen with her, and she said something. And I'm not normally an angry person, but something she said hit me in a certain way. And honestly, in an abnormal way, I was filled with rage. Do you ever get so angry that you start trembling? I was that mad. I was shaking. And it's like, well, I know what she said doesn't deserve this anger. So something's going on inside of me. And my first thought is, so you know what? I'm just going to go watch some TV till this goes away. Or you know what? I'm going to go get some ice cream and medicate this thing. And then my other thought was literally, I'll just go mow the lawn, you know, because I was so vibrating. And, and every blade of grass is Lori, you know, I mean. <laughs> and I thought, Lord, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm a mess. And so the only thing, Lord, I'm going to go back to the bedroom. I'm going to put on headphones and tune the world out. And I'm just going to be with you and show you my rage-filled, sinful heart. 
you have no idea how, how surreal that felt. Can you be in God's presence when you know you're that filled with anger and sin? You know, it's just like, it's even in the room. I mean, and, and I was still vibrating. But 10 minutes, something began to break and began to move. My heart started to loosen. 10 minutes, it got better. By 15 minutes, whew, it lifted off of me. And so I was able to go out in the kitchen and go, hey, Lori, you know that comment you made? Man, man, I was just filled with rage. And instead of her, I'm so sorry, I'm so, she could tell I had owned it all. And she didn't get defensive. She's like, oh, that's really something. No big deal to her, you know. And, and that's how I knew it really was even broken. Guess what? Then I open the Bible and I read Psalms 4.4. And it says, be angry. Do you have a right to be angry? Anger isn't a sin. If somebody's hurting your child and you don't get angry, there's something broken inside of you. We, we, are, we will feel anger. It says, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart, on your bed, and be still. I'm like, good Lord, it's the prescription for what I just did. God's word is true. Who would have imagined? A lot of people don't know how to practice waiting on the Lord, entering the Lord's rest, learning to be still. He doesn't speak to us as easily in the noise and the chaos of a busy life. And how in the world can you hear to, learn to hear from him in a crisis? if you haven't learned to hear from him in the stillness, you know? Really? Whew. Dodged another bullet. Isabel, do you have a question? Oh, come on. You must have a good one. No? Okay. Yeah, mediocre. Hey, I'll take mediocre questions now. The good ones are all out of the way. Okay. So last, last Sunday, and it's been happening pretty regularly here, this church is just on fire. And um, like Cara was really, she was shaking. Anyway, so there's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> she was filled with the Lord. Anyway, so I was, I was shown something about uh, healing. And it just went from one person to another to another. And it's like that God's form of, of healing was like this white plasma that was, that was, I was being shown in different parts of the body for half the people here and some others. Yeah, yeah. And it was like in the form of like a, like a plasma that was healing his eye and a shoulder and a knee. And anyway, um, so I was expecting, this is last Sunday, so I was expecting to come in Wednesday and hear about all these testimonies. <laughs> and like, kind of like nobody got healed. I go, oh, like did I, you know, not. So, yeah, so uh, nobody got healed. Or I don't know if anybody did or not, but we haven't heard anything back yet. So, um, um, obviously, then I start questioning myself the next day, Thursday. But I, was, I had absolute certainty about what I was seeing and, and in that form. Uh, I was also, I, I got the sense, or like just a sense of knowing that, I, that they should, it's like there were two caveats in a sense, they should ask for healing and say that they receive it. And I don't know if I like followed through on that. I don't know if you have any advice or whatever. 
Well, I don't think you're going to like my answer very much, but uh, I was at a service once and had a similar experience, and uh, I smelled um, hospital antiseptic just so clear that I thought it must have been in the natural, but it was actually in the spirit. It just was so profound, and I didn't know what to do with that, and the service was going, and I didn't want to be a distraction, but later on, and it, I, it's still, I kind of regret it. I know God allowed me that physical word of knowledge because there was an anointing for healing in the house. And I should have stepped out and submitted it to the pastor who was leading the service at the time. I just had this, and I really believe there's healing in the house. And, you know, can we offer prayer for anybody? And that, I, I would say, is probably the same response you could have had. You could have come to Scott and said, hey, I see this plasma and, you know, but don't kick yourself. There's no condemnation in the kingdom. It's like, God, but let me learn to, to respond in faith. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. It, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, the word that you got was right, you know, that you need to respond to that. And then someone needs to step out and activate it. Uh, I was in the Dominican Republic, and we were having an incredible worship time. And I got a picture right away of a human kidney, the right kidney, going. <laughs> I could, like, see the pain in it. And so similar situation. So I got up, and I, over the mic, I just said, okay, well, I just got this picture. And this woman came running from the back all the way. She had had extreme kidney pain. She couldn't get the surgery. We prayed over her, and her kidney got immediately healed. And then this guy saw it from the back, and he had cataracts. And he, they, you know, cataract surgery wasn't an option for him. So he thought, well, as long as that's happening, he came running down. And part of the ministry team with Angie uh, started praying over him. They saw his cataracts go away. And he left with, like, perfect vision. It's amazing when that level of faith is there. And when we were driving out of the little village the next morning, you should have seen that lady running up to us, and she's, like, pointing at her right kidney. She's like, <laughs> it was too fun. I'm done. Okay, so um, I, I would agree with what you had to say about, well, you know, why didn't it happen? And you were questioning it. Maybe I should have. Um, and it, like Charlie said, it is a learning opportunity. I mean, we get so many wonderful training and learning opportunities. Um, there is the story that, he, that Charlie shared. When you're in a foreign country, when you're in a third world country, you don't have the doctors to go to. You don't have the money to go to the doctors. So people are desperate for healing. If there's an opportunity for healing, there's a hunger there, and there's a faith there. Um, when you're praying for people in the States, to be honest, it's a lot harder. Yeah, it is a lot harder. You've got, you're, you've got people that go in the back of their mind, they're going, well, she could go ahead and pray, but if I really wanted to, I could go see a doctor. You know what I'm saying? Um, and the other thing that I would say about that is when you're praying for people in the States, and I'm sure it's true in many other countries as well, and you've got the doctors that you can go to and all of that, it takes more than just one time for the most part. So 
when I want to pray for when when I when I get hot hands, when my hands get hot, I've learned to recognize. Oh, I need to find if there's somebody there to pray for for healing. And then if there is somebody that had what was it the other night? It was somebody had a hurt back. I don't remember. And so they came and stood in front of me, and I prayed for their back. Okay, how are you now? Uh, well, you know, maybe a little bit better, but it's still there. Okay, let me pray again, and you pray again. Uh, maybe 50%, you know? So you just keep praying until there's no more improvement or until all the pain is gone or all the healing has happened. You always remember it's him that's doing the healing and not you. So, and then a lot of times when you're praying for healing for somebody, you, you ask the Lord, is there something else going on? And there very well could be an area of unforgiveness that somebody's been dealing with that's actually given the enemy the right to torment them in that way. It's hanging on to their ability to get healed. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I like the story about perseverance because, you know, we think one prayer does it all and it's instantaneous and maintenance-free. That's always God. That isn't always the case. Heidi Baker in Mozambique, she really wanted to see blind eyes opened. And she prayed, if I, re if I read right, for about a year and saw zero people. And then one day a lady named Heidi came up to her who was blind, I think, from childbirth. And Heidi finally prayed and they saw the eyes become clear and bright. And then guess what? Praying for blindness got a whole lot easier. Amazing. Now, are we willing to disappoint the 100 who aren't going to get healed to see the one who will? You know? It's hard. This, this conversation, too. So I'm remembering now clearly what happened. So Barbara had this word. It, I don't know if it's a word. She just, you shared the vision of what you were seeing God doing in basically every body in the room, maybe minus a couple people. And so you shared it out loud in front of everyone. And I remember I said what I was having, that it was, it was right on, it was exact. And so I just said, I receive it. But I feel like with that word of knowledge, we, maybe we just didn't step into the next part. Like what, we, what should we do other than, you know, because it, it was a pretty widespread picture of everyone having different things that, but we were assuming that God was doing it. It was, it was being, it's done. So I think the learning process for us is maybe, okay, who, who received that for themselves? If that's you, if you had any of those things, if that was accurate, come stand up here and we're going to bless that word and release it. Okay. So I have something really fun. Um, when was that last Sunday? Oh, it, we'll get to that in a sec. Back to you. When did you have the uh, shaking, trembling thing? Was that same Sunday? Yeah. Uh, this isn't always the case, so this isn't bedrock, but we've learned through Kamiko and other people that different manifestations sometimes indicate a physical word of knowledge. God's doing a specific thing. So has anyone ever seen someone in travail? <laughs> like that? That's often birthing. You know, you're birthing something new, but the one where you're like, you're shaking... It's not just the Elvis anointing. I'm all shook up. That's like a that's a that's a breaker anointing. Things are getting broken off of you, curses, chains, whatever it is. You're getting set. 
and, and getting, and, and getting, yeah. But people get set free in that place. Things get broken off of people, and you're shaking off lies and deception and what, oppression, whatever. I, I liked that interpretation of it. Now back to you. Um, uh, we, were in, we were in Toronto once, and uh, um, there was an anointing for healing, just like there was last Sunday. And John Arnott was leading the service, and he said, okay, well, there's an anointing for healing. So anybody who needs healing in any part of your body right now, I just want you to put a hand on whatever part of your body needs healing, and we're going to pray. And I had gone to Toronto, but I had thrown my back out again. And it was bad. If I sat for four or five minutes, my back would tense up again. I'd have to go into the back and stretch for a little bit. And so, and it had been 10 days or two weeks where that, my back was out like that. And just sitting at a conference for hours, it was, it was terrible. So I thought, well, okay, my back has really been a distraction. This is really stupid, but I'll lay hands on myself. Okay, Lord. And then John prayed a very simple prayer. And this is my first time of an instantaneous healing from God. I sat for the next two and a half hours, and my back didn't tighten up again. I stood up, and I could move freely. I was just like, I don't believe it. I mean, the physical healing is, and God, your heart really can just be so grateful and just so overwhelming at times. I will say the next morning I got up, and I started to get out of bed. Oh, I felt a little twang in my back. And then I thought, oh, maybe the healing wasn't real. And I thought, wait a minute. I've been in pain the last two weeks. I've had no pain, you know, sitting for hours. So, no, thank you, God, for my healing in Jesus' name. And that little twang went away. I had to fight for that healing three or four times. You know, twang again, moment of doubt. No, that's ridiculous. I was healed last night. God, thank you for my healing. And, and he kind of trained me in that one. So I say all of that because what God wanted to do, I think he still wants to do. So if anybody here needs healing in any part of your own body, I want you to just lay hands on that part of your body, Scott. And, you know, my back's been a little tweaky, but not like it was in Toronto. So wherever you need healing, if it's your lungs, if it's your back, if it's your head. So, Father, you are such a good father. Lord, your word says that, oh, in 3 John, that you want us to prosper and to be in health as our soul prospers. As you bring us into fellowship, into alignment, body, soul, and spirit with you, as you fill our hearts with Holy Spirit joy, your very kingdom lands in our body, and you take every infirmity, you take every broken area of our bodies, and you can make them new again, youthful again. So I speak healing in Jesus' name to every part of everyone's body, every area that needs healing, God. We're here in your presence. We love you with our whole hearts, and we do believe in divine health. We know as we forgive that we cannot be tormented by the enemy. We know that you love to bless your kids, and so I just speak healing in Jesus' name right now. Physical well-being, just come on each person who just give them that faith to trust you more for that compassion, that physical expression of your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we only have done that one time at Abiding Place. And our dear friend Chris, who we went out to dinner with last night, he was so upset. He's like, I can't believe he's giving drive-through healing. But Chris had had gallstones 
and they were painful. And he had had them several times, so he knew all the early symptoms. And he was like, oh, not again. He knew it could mean the hospital and all that stuff. So we do that drive-by healing, and he puts his hand on his kidney. He got healed just like that, and his gallstones have never come back. It's been five years, and he still complains about it. What kind of a rip-off? You know, you didn't even pray. I pay my tithes, and you didn't pray for me. I had to pray for myself. You know, <laughs> I love that. So, yeah. Anybody have a testimony? Anybody feel any change in whatever it was you were trusting God for and believing? Really? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Discomfort? Really? Your, your hip? Yeah. I can push it back in for you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I, I believe in the laying on of hands, but that's a different issue. So, <laughs> well, a anyone else? Are we supposed to be wrapping up? It's like nine o'clock. They're kind of fading, you know? It's, it looks like some people are wilting. Is that it? Wow, very cool. <sighs> we'll give you another shot tomorrow. Oh, okay. What were you praying for, or, or did you? Your, your heart? Okay. <laughs> they ran out of time. <laughs> Who does? Your wife. Oh. So, uh, is it Jean? 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 Jean. I, I, whoa, no, no, you're fine. <laughs> I, 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 have, I, have, I have a verse for you. And just let the Lord kind of open it up and reveal what he wants to you through it. But it's what I refer to. It's 3 John chapter 2, or verse 2. Beloved, man, just remember how beloved you are by God. I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Yeah. And it's not about money, of course. It, it, it's about people filled with love and joy and peace and righteousness. People who are, are in that place, it actually affects the well-being of their body. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, this, yeah, yeah. Not spiritual question. Okay. Where should you invest? No. Okay. 
did you know? Are, do you follow me on Facebook? Are you a stalker? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, we had the sailboat back then. Oh, that's a uh, long story short. Our last trip to Tokyo the first night, I was given for free a 24 foot sailboat that I had previously raised. Yeah, just some guy goes, I think I'm supposed to give you my sailboat. And I go, I think I'm supposed to take it. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we got that all fixed up. And then I took, uh, you like that part of the story. We were, in we were in downtown Tokyo at the time when the guy offered me the boat, but he lived in Longview. And so it was just, it was the craziest set of circumstances. And by the way, this one was sitting next to me when he said, I think I'm supposed to give you my sailboat. And she leans in and goes, oh, yeah, you need to take the boat. You need a hobby. What the heck? Am I at home too much? Am I getting on your nerves? What, what did she mean by that? So uh, anyway, we come home. We get the boat. I won't tell the whole story. But I did take my daughter and son-in-law, uh, one of the early cruises from where we were moored, to downtown Portland, and we moored in the marina there, went out to dinner with some friends, got dessert, had this amazing in Kamiko, and yeah, it was a wonderful time, but it was a 24-foot boat, so they had these tiny little quarter berths, so I'm in the luxurious V-berth, sleeping like a baby, and they both really didn't have a very good night, so they said, you know, Dad, we love sailing, but we're not going on another overnighter in this boat. I said, okay. So it got in my mind, I sold that boat, and I bought a 27-foot Ericsson, which is probably the one you're thinking of. And uh, this one over here, courageous woman of God that she is, uh, she went with me on an eight-day cruise from Portland to Astoria, and then we sailed out the Columbia Bar, which, by the way, is the only bar in the United States that's rated as hazardous by the Coast Guard. It's, it's the graveyard of the the only one. It's the graveyard of the Pacific. No, no, I kept her in the dark about a lot, but, but the really wonderful day, that was a 220-mile road trip on the water, and she doesn't like sailing, so she doesn't have to do one more supportive thing for the rest of our marriage. She got it all done in one go. I think I've heard that 10 times. I know, just, we heard it already tonight with these two, but it got a laugh, but it didn't get a laugh then, so, you know, you just, I, I figure if I tell enough jokes, some of them will work, and that's all I need, just the one or two. And so, anyway, uh, the sailboat was actually taking us apart. She didn't like sailing that much, and we don't have that much extra time anyway. So we sold the sailboat and decided to put the, some of the money into camping. And we just bought our final grandma-grandpa house. So, uh, yeah, the place that our eight grandkids are going to come and remember, you know, hanging out with us and being spoiled rotten. So <laughs> it's a good trade-off, yeah. She was supportive of it, yeah. Yeah. I'm so thinking that ten times no, I can probably exchange it for money or something. No. <laughs> no, you just don't have to be supportive. <laughs> I'll Ven Venmo you something. Jeez, I'll buy your next coffee at Starbucks and we're even. Yeah, for you. <laughs> hey, I'll give you an Uber ride back home after Sunday. Wow. Okay, well, this is super fun. You guys are great. And so I think we've really seeded the ground well for the level of faith for tomorrow night. And those people who are coming who aren't here now, whoo, they have no idea what's coming. It's going to be fun. So do you want me to close in prayer? Uh-oh. Oh, no. Since we're going to take them back to their, their hotel, their love nest, <laughs> if we could just 
blast them with pray for a good night's sleep and all that good stuff. You know, give them the give them the Legacy City Church full-on fire hose prayer blasting. Can you guys do? Is that okay? So, so this is what we do. Have you guys? You can sit if you want, or you can stand. Whatever you want. Yeah, squeeze over a little bit. All right, church, come on. You know what to do. We're not recording this part. to this so father we just thank you we thank you so much for charlie and Lori. we thank you so much for their hearts for their journey with you we thank you lord for everything that you've done in their lives all the ways that you've you've revealed yourself you've given them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you and they are overflowing with your goodness and we just thank you that that they're friends of this house so God, we just receive, we receive them, we receive the gifts that they carry, and we just release blessing over them tonight, that there would be a reciprocal blessing as they've come to bless us, that, yeah, even now we just release it, guys, just, Father, we just release the blessing that you've deposited in, in this house, the, the deposit of your spirit, that the unique DNA that is in this place. God, we release to them, God, that they would be mutually encouraged, that they would be mutually strengthened. So, God, we just release it now. We say let, let all of their needs be supplied physically, emotionally, mentally. Let this just be such a great time of refreshing. And we just look forward to what you are going to do tonight as they rest in the dreams of your church, in the sleep, and as well as the meeting tomorrow night when we have everyone here. God, we anticipate. We, we long for you, Jesus. We long for you, Father God. We long for you, Holy Spirit, to come and manifest your glory, the kabod of heaven, that you would release your presence in a mighty way that would mark us that would anoint us and equip us and, and uh, prepare us for what you have for us to do outside the walls of this place. Thank you, Lord. So I'm seeing a picture right now of um, like a basket of fruit or like 
just a huge harvest, like grapes and all the things that you would get out of a harvest. And it's just bountiful and it's fresh and it's all just amazing. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, thank you for the bountiful harvest that is that you have put into Charlie and Lori. And we thank you for the fruits of your spirit that you have stacked into them, Lord God. And we just pray that you would release that harvest through them, Lord God, and that you would give them a huge harvest, Lord God, of supply that they need, but also the things that, that can flow through them to the people that they meet in their cars, Lord God. It would just be a huge blessing. We thank you for this bountiful harvest that they carry, Lord God. So this is an all hands on deck for you guys. The Lord is calling all hands on deck to support you in the season that you are going into. And there's a renewal and a recovery for this new season. Everything that you need, everything that you've lost is being restored. Your obedience, you have sacrificed much. And the Lord is renewing you in this season because he's calling you to a greater the harvest of souls that you've been longing for that you haven't even touched yet is coming. So legacy extends the blessing, the blessing, the blessing upon you. We are a house to refresh and to pray for you in this new season that you are going to. So just be refreshed tonight. Be refreshed tomorrow. You guys are going into a new era of renewal and recovery in the name of Jesus. I'm seeing that, or I'm being shown that um, where you walk together, you're walking down a street, you're holding hands, and it's just like everything looks just normal. And then ahead of you and behind you and the buildings, everything is just, it's turned to gold. It's everything, it just turns to gold. And where it stays that way. And out before you, just a little ways out ahead of you, everywhere you go, it just turns to gold. You so much carry the heart of Jesus, and you so much uh, serve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just out there ahead of you, changing the world. just pray your blessings over them tonight. God, that you would just fill their room where they're staying with your presence. God, with your peace. God, your love would just saturate that, that place. God, that they could just soak in your presence and in your peace tonight. That they would come tomorrow refreshed, 
and renewed and fully rested. God, just bless their night. Oh, God, bless them and fill them to overflowing. 